Hey everyone, welcome to the Communication Coach Podcast, where I'm going to help you to create successful change through powerful and honest conversations. I am your host, Nikki Perfect. Hey everybody and welcome to episode 48 of the Communication Coach. Hope you're having a great day, whatever you're doing. You're very welcome here. And thank you so much for all your messages I've received over the last few weeks. If I haven't got back to you, I'm really sorry. I know there was a lady that left me a message on my phone. Unfortunately, I didn't have your number to text you back. And probably the best way to get through to me is either via my email, which is info at thecommunicationcoach.co.uk or via Facebook. And lots of you have been saying how you've been listening to the podcast, how they've been helping, that you found them very interesting, which is great. And thank you for that feedback. But also some of you have been saying to me, "Okay, I understand what you're saying about how my emotional brain takes over. I understand what you're talking about around communication. And I definitely recognize myself in what you're what you're saying. But how can I now move that forward? How can I do the how? What can I actually do to stop that emotional brain taking over my conversations and getting in the way of relationships that I'm trying to have or getting in the way of me rebuilding my life as I try to move away from a relationship or stop that um, incident that happened to me when I was seven still, (laughs) still taking over how I feel about things. Now, let me clarify what I mean about those incidents that take over from your, your past. Now, If you're into human psychology, there's lots you can read about this. Basically, what you believe is correct now is a direct result of how you were brought up, incidents that happened to you when you were younger, how you react emotionally now is all born out of something that happened to you in the past. And I'll give you an example of one of mine. Now, I've used this example before about figures and numbers and how I'm overcoming that and not living into the box that I have given myself about not being good with numbers. And I was driving my car the other day and thinking about, well, why is it that I feel that I'm not good with numbers? In fact, let me give you the whole scenario. So on Sunday, I was sitting down doing my budgets. It's Monday now, doing my uh, monthly accounts and trying to work out VAT. For any of you that run a small business, you'll know exactly what I mean about the headache that VAT causes. For those of you that don't, I'm not going to bore you with it, but needless to say that it's quite a minefield. And when you are approaching a new subject that you are not familiar with and you don't understand it, it can become very frustrating. And when you're frustrated, that can be, it can interfere with the way that you communicate and behave. And I'll give you a classic example of how this worked for me on Sunday. So I'm sitting there doing my budgets. My other half says, let me help you because they're much better on spreadsheets than I am. Came over. Uh, took over and I mean that in the nicest way in inverted commas to which point my inner dialogue that emotional defensive chimp of mine came rushing out to say oh you're taking over I'm so useless at this I don't know how to do this this is rubbish and I was like whoa take a breath go to the kitchen have a cup of tea stop where you are now and of course you know I I apologized Um, I know that I was in the wrong and I also know what was happening so I was thinking, well, why is this happening to me? What, what has happened in my past to actually cause me to have this belief? I know that I didn't get my maths O-level. Uh, it took me three times. I didn't go to many of my maths classes because I didn't understand them. I was thinking, actually, you know, when you talk about teachers who make a really Im- 
impact on your life. And I can name some of the teachers that had a really big impact on my life. And there was a lady called Mrs. Armstrong who was my form teacher. And she was also a maths teacher. And I remember bunking off school one day. Kids, if you're listening to this, don't do as I did. <laughs> uh, go and talk to somebody about it rather than just taking matters into your own hand and not going to your lessons. And I remember sitting on the school bench outside school having a cigarette, you know, because I thought it was super cool. Again, kids, if you're listening to this, it's not super cool. It took me a long time to give it up. Uh, but, of course, you won't listen to me because I'm a 50-year-old woman. You're a young person trying to go through your life. And I never listened to anybody when I was 15 or 16 because, of course, I knew everything. Anyway, so there I am, bunking off school, having a cigarette. Um, I'm very brazen about the whole thing. I'm just sat on the bench literally outside school. So it's not like I was hiding. Mrs. Armstrong, my form teacher, walked past. Now, she could have reacted in two ways. She could have said, Nick, what are you doing out here and give me a detention? But she didn't. She took the time out to sit with me and say, what are you d- what's going on? What, what, you know, why are you out here? Not the accusatory why, but listening to what I was saying. And in fact, as I reflect back on it even now, that small moment of time where she was in that moment with me listening to what I was saying had a big impact on my life. So she arranged for me to take maths with her rather than my current teacher. And I was successful in getting my maths O-level. Now, there's two parts to that story. One is the part whereby I understood what she was saying. She spoke maths in a particular language that I could then formulate into taking the exam and get through the exam, which then actually opened up my policing career because I was at the time applying for the police cadets and one of the exams you had to have was maths O-level. And she also showed me respect and listened to me, didn't go down the route of, right, you're in detention, you're bunking off school, you shouldn't be doing this, treating me like an adult. And so I listened to her and I followed her advice. And that still plays in my mind about not being good at maths and then that like little chimp chips in and tells me how rubbish I am at maths and that my budget sheets are awful and I've wasted all this time and what do I think I'm doing and I can never be in business and all the rubbish things that that inner dialogue will tell you uh, unless that's just me of course but I'm guessing for some of your reactions that I've had um, it is the same for you so what can you do to stop your inner dialogue now There are many things you can do if any of you are into neuro-linguistic programming. If any are psychologists listening, you're probably already now going, whoa, that's a load of rubbish. Certainly every psychologist I've ever met says that. And I wonder why that is, because it has been shown to work on some people. I guess it's all to do with um, different learning aspects and education and things like that. That's a whole topic for another podcast. Anyway. If you can work out what the voice is, is it your voice? Is it somebody else's voice? Is it male? Is it female? Can you hear where it is as well? That's the other thing. Can you actually hear where it is? Is it the back of your head? Is it the front of the head? Is it at the side? And because if you can work out where it is and whose voice it is, then you can generally move it around, play with it. This is like quite interesting to do, but you have to be really conscious. You have to be very self-aware and you have to be absolutely present in the moment when the voice is there. So it's called being a spectator to your thoughts. And I love that phrase. I love that saying. I think it encapsulates absolutely everything that I try to explain in these podcasts around how your brain works. If you can stop and take yourself out of your own mind and then be so self-aware as to listen to what is going on, you can change. But change isn't easy. Change is never easy. If you look at any of your behavioral patterns, any of your habits, if you're a smoker, a drinker, if you go out every Friday night, 
if you have a takeaway with your family every Friday night, if you get up on a Monday, if you stand in the same place on the platform to take a train, we all have ingrained routines and habits in our lives. And a, a habit is something that you do totally unconsciously. And when we react to our emotional brain, that is an unconscious behavior that we do without even thinking about it. And the words that come out of our mouths are words that we do not even think about. And they're the words that are upsetting, they're hurtful, they're the ones we wish we could take back as soon as they've come out of our mouths. They're the ones that cause distress to other people. And they're not kind words. And when we stop and think about what we've just said, and often we will go, oh, you know, I really, I didn't mean it like that. I wish I hadn't said that. But once they're said, they can't be unheard. And I've really learned that since being a negotiator, that you you can be clumsy with your words, absolutely, as long as you're genuine and people will forgive you and move on if you mean to be forgiven. And by that, I mean that you're genuine in seeking an apology. You'll all know people who say sorry and, and absolutely don't mean it. And you can hear that in their voice. So if you're genuine, you will people will forgive you or people will listen to you and accept what you're saying more than they would do if you're not genuine. If, however, you don't see that it's you and you don't accept the blame and you don't accept responsibility for your own actions and for the way that you are, then people will find it harder to form relationships with you or to take you at your word or to trust you. And sometimes when our emotional brain takes over, now the fact that you're listening to this indicates to me that you've got to a point in your life where you want to make a change. And now you've got to break that habit, break that routine. The good news about habits and routines and behaviours are that many of them are learnt, many of them are choices. And so let me just explain that. So I'm a 50-year-old woman. Some of the behaviours and habits I have now I never had when I was 15. I never had when I was 20, 25, 30, 35, 40. They're all based on my experiences and what's happened to me over those years and how I've dealt with them and what I move fo- and how I move that forward and how I learn from them. And so I used to be a very heavy drinker and actually a very heavy smoker and I am not anymore. There have been times in my life where drink had control of me, absolutely did, and it, it was a bad relationship. There's definitely been times when uh, tobacco has had a hold on me uh, and that I would say was an addiction and an incredibly hard habit to break and one of the ways of breaking that habit was to become incredibly self-aware and conscious of the behavior of why I was a having the cigarette and then b going through the movement of having that cigarette what it tasted like what I was actually doing what I was seeing what I was thinking but you have to stop your brain and be a spectator to your thoughts and to how you're reacting. So my reaction on Sunday, I believe, was driven by way, 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 way ago where I didn't understand figures, couldn't get maths. And actually, I like figures now. I I like the way that they inform me what my business is doing. And because I've been able to relate them to something that is incredibly important to me right here, right now, I can now play around with them a bit more and have some fun with them and look at them. And sometimes I get quite excited. I can't believe I'm actually saying this in public, (laughs) but I sometimes get quite excited about sitting down with my spreadsheet. Oh, yes. And going through them because that's the truth of what is happening on a day to day in my business. And that is what is going to drive the business forward and make it successful. But it's the same in your life. 
So if you can recognize what has making you react and behave in a way that you're reacting and behaving in, listen to that inner dialogue and become a spectator to your thoughts, then you can work out what it is that's driving you. But you have to be really self-aware. And being self-aware is hard, especially when we are driven by really strong emotions. Now, very strong emotions are love, hate, jealousy. I always say never underestimate the power of jealousy. Now, there's only been, oh no, there's not only been one time in my life, gosh, I'm being very honest here, um, there's been quite a few times in my life where my behaviour has been driven by jealousy. I'll give you the most recent, gosh, that sounds like I'm, I have this... Um, pattern of behavior but I don't I don't think I do uh, oh maybe I do now I'm questioning myself here on the podcast anyway going back to jealousy unfortunately I have seen people kill other people because of jealousy so when a relation breaks up a relationship breaks up especially um, or you suspect that your partner is having an affair whether that is true or not true what will happen is that jealous instinct will take over and change your behavior. So for me, I was going through the menopause early. Lucky me. Sorry, guys. Any of you that are listening to this, um, please don't switch off just because I've mentioned the menopause. <laughs> and perhaps it will help you with uh, the ladies in your life. But it changes you. Now, I never I had heard all about the physical symptoms. Absolutely heard about the physical symptoms. Hot sweats, being tired. It doesn't actually describe how tired you can be, but nobody had ever explained, or I don't ever remember reading anywhere, about the psychological side, the um, side that would question everything, question me, destroy my self-belief, um, question my relationship, wonder if that my uh, partner was attracted to somebody else. And that changes your behaviour. Not only does it change your behaviour, but it changes the way that you communicate. Now, luckily for me, and I'm not saying that this is for everybody, and I'm certainly not giving you advice on what to do should you become a middle-aged woman and how to deal with your own menopause, but I went on to HRT, and within 24 hours, no word of a lie, I was back to my normal self. And in fact, if you ever have a conversation with my other half, they will say exactly the same, that the um, it was really quite miraculous and to be honest now when I go and get my patches I always have a joke with the the chemist and I always say thank goodness I've got these the world is safe for another six months <laughs> because that's how I genuinely feel but that's me that's my belief based on the experience that I have had but the point is when you are driven by emotion and strong emotions like hate and anger and jealousy and you believe those emotions to be true they will play with your mind so if you can stop and be self-aware enough to go, my behavior here is not how I would behave in a normal circumstance. I would never normally, I don't know, pick up a vase and throw it at the head of my other half in anger. But for some reason, I'm doing that today. Now, there will be a reason behind that. And a lot of it will be to do with your thought process. Because your thoughts control your emotions, which control your behavior and your communication. So if you can understand what is driving that thought process and what emotion you are experiencing, then you can look at that. Just become a spectator to your thoughts and just go, okay, this is me. What, what is happening and why am I doing that? Now, another way, and, and I, I've got this from somebody else. Unfortunately, I can't remember the name of the lady. Uh, she has written a book. And in it, she says that when her emotional voice 
chips in or her inner dialogue chips in to tell her something she has found a way of saying to it you know i really appreciate what you're saying thank you very much for that i don't need to hear it right now um move on thank you for trying to protect me move on because what is happening is your inner dialogue is trying to protect you so we have if you ever get a chance to read the chimp paradox uh, give it a go because it's a very i found it a very easy way that described how the human brain works and how that emotional brain is a lot stronger and takes over all the time and gives you these thoughts and i certainly recognize myself in there so so give that a read that's a very good book in my opinion and then what happens is you get that internal dialogue you get that emotional behavior that causes you to behave in a way that you wouldn't normally react. And it's generally with people that you love and care about. And it's generally because you're angry, frustrated, tired, jealous, in love, in hate, whatever it might be. And a lot of it is also to do with your belief system about what is going on at the time. In fact, the next episode I do, I'm going to cover this. And we'll call it the uh, how what you believe to be true isn't necessarily true but you'll make up a story in your head and you'll rerun the story until it becomes true and you can actually alter this is amazing you can actually alter your own memory from something that you believe to be true when i was younger i had a terrible temper and my grandma and granddad who used to live in lincoln they would they had this like little putting green in their garden and i had a memory for years, for years and years and years and years that we went to visit them and I lost my temper and threw one of the putting, uh, I was going to say sticks for all you golfers listening, I apologise profusely, a club, and I'm, <laughs> I'm not a golfer, <laughs> but that would show my ignorance on golfing, a club, sorry, a, a putter, let's just call it a putter and stick with that Nick, it's probably better off, anyway, a putter, and I have a vivid memory of becoming angry, not getting my own way, and throwing the putter through the lower panel, this is how clear my memory is, lower panel of the double glazing in their kitchen door. So a few months ago, I was with my family, my mum and dad, my sister, and we were having a conversation, and I said, oh, do you remember the time? And they all looked at me and said, that never happened. It never happened. And yet here, for years and years and years, <laughs> I had this memory that I had created from my past about how I'd smashed that window. And I s have seen this as well when I used to work in uh, police investigations. So I would investigate police officers who uh, complaints had been made against them or who had um, committed a criminal act off duty or on duty. And I would investigate them. Internal affairs, you've probably seen some programs on it on Sky. But so it, I was working for the director of professional standards and I remember a case as clear as day where there were four independent witnesses, there were um, there was CCCTV, there was a re reporter, a police officer reporting what had happened as well. Um, w and this is all very unusual because normally nobody sees anything, especially when it's a colleague and that's a whole other story, but it's the same at school or the same in your gang when you uh, want to be loyal and being ostracised is more important than telling the truth. Uh, I'm not I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I'm just giving you my observations. You can see it with kids especially as well, how they'll lie to protect a friend or they'll keep quiet about something that's happened because they don't want to be ostracised and that, that defensive mode of protection is stronger 
than the value of honesty at that stage. That sounds like another podcast. Um, but what happens is your defensive brain will kick in. It will defend you to the hilt and protect you. It used to protect you from dinosaurs and encourage you to run away or stand very still so you couldn't be seen or to fight the dinosaur. It now protects you from all the other things in the world that cause us stress and hurt and harm and emotions and how the brain is wired, how far we've come. The brain is an incredibly powerful thing. We're learning more and more about it all the time. But it will b- it's there to protect you. And that inner voice, that thought that pops into your head is trying to protect you. So if you can tell it it's under control, it, believe it or not, this works. It might sound a bit crazy, wacky, but it works. And I know it works because I do it on myself all the time, but only when I can catch it. So there's two takeaways from today. Is one, listen to the voice. Whose voice is it? Where is it? What does it sound like? Be a spectator to your thoughts and see if you can move the voice. Play around with it. Play around with it and eventually just get rid of it. And the second one is to say, thank you for protecting me, but I don't need to feel think that right here, right now. And, you know, I think ill of people. I have judgments of my own. And as soon as I'm aware that my thought process is going down that line, that is exactly what I say to it. Thank you very much for this. It's serving me no purpose. I don't need to think this. And I move away and immediately, almost immediately, I can feel the emotion come back to a level playing field, a logical brain, and I can carry on with a normal conversation or a normal reaction that I would give. And it is hard. And dealing with emotions isn't easy, especially when there is loss. And certainly when I uh, was lucky enough to negotiate with people in crisis, when people talk about loss, it's generally causing the emotion that they're experiencing, which is causing the action that are taking. And they'll get to a stage where they can't deal with the loss anymore or deal with the emotions that go with the loss. And so they're looking for a way that is a way out of the pain that they find themselves in. And perhaps you can relate to this, not necessarily to the extent of wanting to take your own life, but wanting the pain to go away. I don't know about you, but I can really relate to that. When I've lost people who I've loved and cared about, whether they've walked away from me in a relationship, sometimes when I've walked away from them in a relationship, and uh, often, obviously, through death, and it's about how you deal with that emotion. Uh, but uh, but it's okay to have it. It's okay to recognize it. And it's okay to have it. It's just about becoming a spectator to your thoughts so that you then don't have that transference of the emotion onto people that you love and care about and end up either pushing them away or having an argument with them because of the way that you're behaving. And you know that the way you behave is a direct reflector on people. Uh, other, uh, the way, Sorry. You know, gosh, I'm struggling with my words. You know that the way that you behave ha- is has a direct impact on how people behave towards you. Uh, and you probably see this in your own everyday relationships and how if you have a bad experience with somebody, that will impact on the response that you give to them. And we all do it, and we do it as a reaction, a reactionary response. Somebody, I don't know, they'll bump into you, or they'll cut you up in a car. That's a classic one. Cut you up in a car, immediately a reaction response. Bah, idiot! Lots of beep, 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 beep language. And that will be an emotional response because of the way they have acted towards us. And it's the same when we do something to somebody else. We will invoke a reaction. 
unless that person is incredibly aware and they will just walk out the room or say, I'm going to speak to you when you are less emotional. Although sometimes that makes us more emotional <laughs> when they say to us, <laughs> calm down especially. Sorry, I'm laughing because I'm laughing at myself because I'm talking about myself. I know that if somebody ever says to me, calm down when I am feeling stressed or angry, the immediate reaction they get is, I am calm, where of course I'm not calm whatsoever. And it's the same as if somebody ever says to me, again, when I'm emotional, uh, I understand how you're feeling. No, you don't. You have absolutely no idea how I'm feeling is generally the reaction I give. And uh, from experience of dealing with people in crisis and negotiating with people and coaching, I know that's also the response that other people give. I hope you've uh, found today's podcast useful and I look forward to speaking to you soon. Have a great week, whatever you're doing, and let me know whatever I can help you with in the future. Hey everybody, Nikki again. Hope you enjoyed today's podcast and thank you for joining me. You can find me on social media at Nikki Comms Coach at Twitter and The Communication Coach on Facebook and thecommunicationcoach.co.uk. Please like, share and review and I look forward to speaking to you soon.